Welcome to Sound Saints, a podcast aimed at helping the saints of God to think sound thoughts. My name is Clint Ebersbacher. I'm the senior pastor at Hingham Church in Hingham, Wisconsin. I'm Kurt Dalmas. I'm an elder at Hingham Church. <laughs> like that you had to check your notes on that, Kurt. Yeah, right. Yeah. Got plenty of them here today. So, Well, uh, man, we, we've uh, really been uh, in it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you really had to check your notes because we've had a lot of stuff going on. It's tough to keep our, our minds straight uh, these days with uh, the number of moving pieces at Hingham. You're saying you're sending a lot my way? No, it's not just <laughs> you. It's, yeah, we definitely are with us taking on just a different organization and now we are um, very close, hopefully, to having a new family discipleship pastor. We're working out uh, our beliefs on baptism. Uh, there's a lot going on, for there's sure. A ton of stuff. It is a really exciting time. By the time this goes out, many of those things will already have uh, come and gone and been communicated about. But uh, right now, we are definitely in the thick of it. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Definitely a lot of fun. It's very exciting to see what the Lord is doing at our church and, uh, yeah, getting up every day and, and finding out the new things that he has in store for us. And, yeah, it's been a fun ride as of late, to say the least. Awesome. Well, Kurt, what are we doing here today? Well, today we're going to continue talking about the Apostles' Creed, and we are up to Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, born of the Virgin Mary. So... What does that mean? Sometimes it's almost easier to talk about what maybe he isn't, so we can kind of dispel, I would say, some different heresies that are out there by G about Jesus, and um, just got kind of a few of them maybe I thought I would ask you about and see if you could kind of give us some details on that. So let's start with one. Uh, there's Hit me. some people called the Ebionites. Who are they? Yeah, well, the Ebionites, I believe, were uh, a Jewish sect uh, in the, oh, I don't know what century they came around, uh, but uh, after, of course, after Christ, so in the in A.D. Um, but yeah, they <clears throat> essentially were uh, kind of a Judaizing sect of Christianity that believed that Jesus was in no sense divine. He was uh, truly human, but he was not truly divine, uh, which poses a big problem for Christianity, of course. So someone that maybe God found favor with after the fact and then decided to, to make him divine, perhaps? or No, they didn't, they didn't think he was divine at any point. Uh, they, were, they were truly Jewish in, from that standpoint. So uh, they uh, denied Jesus' divinity. They didn't deny his existence. They, they uh, knew that he had uh, been among the, uh, the people of Israel, but Yes, he, he was not God in the flesh. Well, that's absolutely something different than we believe. Uh, how about the Docetists? Well, the Docetists basically believe the exact opposite uh, about Jesus. So this kind of goes back to um, uh, an ancient pagan belief called Gnosticism. It does get addressed a little bit in the, the New Testament, uh, but... It's, uh, it's a belief that uh, was held by many Greeks back then, that, um, uh, that matter, so the, the, the material that makes up the material universe, matter is evil. And so the idea that God, who is perfect, would have taken into his own being uh, 
matter uh, was unthinkable for them because uh, that would that would be essentially making God evil and no longer good. And so they they could not uh, see Jesus as being uh, truly composed of or comprised of matter. Um, well, of course, uh, the 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 Greek word for uh, uh, for this, where docetism comes from, uh, comes from dakeo, which means to seem or to appear. And so their belief was, <clears throat> again, they believed that Jesus existed. They believed that he was here among us, but that he only appeared to be human. He only appeared to have human flesh. And, uh, and so as a result, um, they, they held to that uh, belief that God was able to remain pure uh, by not taking on matter. By not taking on matter. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, these hopefully are... you didn't have anyone to give a hug to or anything like that. would be hard for me to figure out. But Oh, and there's just all sorts of problems, right? Jesus touching people, and, and uh, uh, we just I, I just preached a sermon this last week on Jesus touching someone's ears and touching someone's eyes and, and spitting on both of those men that he touched. It's tough to do if you don't have spit. Yeah, yeah. I would say. <laughs> All right. Well, another one. Arians. Who are they? Yeah. Um, so the Arians uh, were a, a group that believed... They wanted to protect something good. <clears throat> it comes from Arius. There was a big controversy between Arius uh, and, and others uh, in, the, in the early church, especially Athanasius. And essentially, they were trying to answer the question, what does it mean that God has a son? In fact, this is what we're talking about today in Jesus Christ, his only son. Talking about the son of the father. Um, what does it mean that Jesus is the son of the father? And, and Arius, uh, I think, I mean, of course, I don't know his motives, but I think I want to try to assume the best with his motives. He was simply saying, look at what we know about father-son relationships. Uh, the son comes after the Father. The Father precedes the Son. And so uh, his belief was that God the Father is <clears throat> fully God, has always existed, um, but that Jesus, by the very nature of the fact that he is the Father's Son, the Son. could not have eternally preexisted with the Father. How would that possibly make sense? Sons always come after fathers. Well, uh, the the early church worked through this. In fact, Athanasius uh, worked through this from a very different standpoint. And Athanasius's counterpoint was, well, what do we know about sons and fathers? Well, we know that sons and fathers are the same. They're made of the same thing. So if you have a human father, you're going to have a human son. If you have a, uh, I don't know, a, a giraffe that's a father, you're going to have a giraffe be the son. And so if God, the Father, is God, and he has a son, uh, then that son is going to be God, and God is eternal. God does not come into existence at all. And so um, the early church uh, was able to work its way through that and understand that the son eternally pre-exists, eternally coexists with the Father, uh, and that he is, uh, he, he is in that uh, everlasting relationship. In fact, you can't have God the Father without God the Son, because you can't be a father unless you have a son. And so Jesus has to eternally pre-exist or eternally coexist with the Father in order for the Father to be the Father. 
Otherwise, the father would have changed, and that enters into a whole other uh, problem because God cannot change. Yeah, so, yeah, (laughs) and I think as Christians, that's something that we've all had to put our minds around at some point. That's, you know, something that we've all considered. If God was God and Jesus is the Son, God had to come first, you know, so it's something that we do, you know, think about. But the Arians, to me, sound a lot like, modern-day Jehovah Witnesses, every time they come to my doorstep, it's one of those things that they bring up. You know, it's Jesus was the first created or the highest angel or something along those lines. I don't know exactly, but... Have you ever told an Arian, or I'm sorry, have you ever told a Jehovah's Witness that they're a modern-day Arian? I have not. You really should do that sometime because it's super fun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep that one in mind for sure. They don't love that. They also don't love sitting down at your table and getting out your Bible and start going through things, but, you know, that's maybe for a different topic at some point. It's, uh, I, I've been able to get Jehovah's Witnesses to do that. It's the Mormons that run away from, from me when I try to do that. But, yeah, sometimes it probably depends on the, on the JW. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And there's a few others that are out there, and I probably am going to butcher this one, but it's Apollinarians. Yeah, Apollinarians. Uh, this one's more complicated. Um but essentially, and, and the reality is, I think maybe um, sometimes modern-day Christians fall into this pattern of thinking, whether they realize it or not. So it's worth mentioning because we need to understand that um, Jesus was fully God. He, he is, rather, fully God and fully human. And so what, what the Apollinarians did was they divided up humanity into essentially not just our soul and our body— but also our spirit, or what the ancient Greeks might have called our logos. Uh, you may have heard that, uh, that, that Greek word before. But the, the idea was that Jesus had uh, a human body, he had a human soul. However, his divinity, he, he had one mind, and so his mind, his spirit, his logos was uh, essentially controlled by and uh, commensurate with or the same as his divinity. And so um, by that, you know, three-part division of humanity, uh, if if that's the correct way, and I don't think that that's the best way to talk about what humans are, are comprised of, but if you take that approach and say that humans are made of three parts, and then you say, well, but Jesus only had two of those three parts, now you're saying Jesus is not truly not fully human. He's two-thirds human at best. Right, right. God downloaded his brain into a human body, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that, that's, a good, that's a good comparison, I think. But yeah, so the, the idea that uh, Apollinarians came up with, again, they're trying to make sense of something that's so hard to make sense of, uh, but it doesn't really fit uh, when, when, you, when you think through it fully, I don't think. Right, because then he's not fully human. Right, yeah. Which is obviously what we believe. There's a couple more here I'd like to ask you about, and one is the Nestorians. Yeah, this one's fun. So, um, you know, I I like this one. In fact, I I was asking you the last time we recorded one of these, you know, what uh, what would you say? And you can either tell me the answer you arrived at after you thought through it more, or you can tell me your initial answer. We'll, We'll leave it up to you. But one of these answers, as you know, uh, is uh, is considered to be heresy by the church uh, ever since the early centuries of the church. Um, and the other answer is orthodoxy. But the question is, is Mary 
And this was a deep, deep struggle for the early church to answer. Is Mary the mother of Christ or is Mary the mother of God? Is she, uh, is she the mother of Christ or is she the mother of God? That really uh, troubled the church. And I wonder, just knowing that our congregation, uh, who our congregation is, knowing that we are Protestant, and when I've asked this question before in classes that include Protestants and Catholics, uh, the, only, the only students that ever get it right are the, are the Catholic students, <laughs> and I can explain why that is. Oh, it's kind of in their saying, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but but uh, yeah, maybe just tell us what your initial thought was on that, and, and then, yeah, if you changed or why you changed. Well, I mean it can be kind of something that takes a bit to consider because when you think is Mary the, the mother of God and you're like, well, God the Father, well then, you know, maybe not. No, so it must be the Christ, right? But when you think about what the two answers, you know, or what the two definitions are or how to separate them, it's like, who is Jesus? Well, according to John 1, 1, he's the Word and the Word became flesh. And the Word was with God, the Word was God. I guess down to verse 14 is when he becomes flesh. But So there it tells us that Jesus is God. And then what is the definition of Christ? Christ is the Messiah or the Anointed One. And, and what is the difference there? Well, I mean, they used to, in the Old Testament, anoint prophets, priests, and kings. So I guess to me you would have to say, Jesus is God. Mary is Jesus's mother. She is the mother of God, whereas I don't know exactly when to say Jesus became the Messiah, but, you know, it was definitely done in physical form when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down on him and, you know, basically anointed him. So I guess my answer today would be Mary is the mother of God. Yeah, and, and that is the right approach to this as... Uh, counterintuitive as it might be. Now, again, as you mentioned, uh, the Catholics typically get this right. Roman Catholics typically get this right, um, and Protestants don't. But that's because Catholics are trained in saying, Hail Mary, Mother, Mother of, of God. God. Right. And, uh, of course, I, I don't think uh, that uh, Mary is really listening uh, to those prayers. But uh, in any case, it is, a, it is a phrase that they say enough that it is ingrained in them that Mary is the Mother of God. So, yeah, the, the, the real issue there uh, for the early church, and there was a big battle between uh, this guy named Nestorius and this other guy named Eutychus, or Eutyches, depending on how you pronounce his name. And uh, Nestorius was a fierce proponent of teaching that Mary is the mother of Christ. And what was at stake for him in that was to say that Mary is the mother of God would mean somehow that Mary is uh, over, um, uh, over God or, or giving birth to the Trinity. And, uh, of course, we know that Mary did not give birth to the Trinity. She gave birth to the second person of the Trinity, right. Jesus Christ. And so that, that's really where he was coming at it from, but because of his belief in that, he was exiled and, and uh, removed from his, his uh, ministry and, and uh, had all sorts of troubles. Uh, and, and to be clear... The, the opposing viewpoint uh, against Nestorius really came down to the fact that if, if we weren't willing to say that Mary was the mother of God, then in what sense could we 
be affirming the divinity of Christ. In other words, if, if Jesus is God and Mary is Jesus's mother, then what is to keep us from saying that Mary is the mother of God? The only thing that would keep us from that would be, to, would be saying that, uh, that, that Mary uh, can't be the mother of her own creator, <laughs> right? Right. But it was important to the early church to affirm the divinity of Christ so much that we have to uh, recognize that Mary is the mother of God. And, that's, and, and in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells. And so we, we need to recognize, uh, recognize it from that standpoint. I think the whole debate is uh, situated in unfortunate ways because they're both kind of on some level talking past each other. But, uh, but at the same time, that heavy emphasis on Christ being truly and fully God uh, is, a, is, of course, very valuable um, for the, theologically for the church. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, all right, well, I'm going to ask you about one more, and these are the, good luck, Eutychians? <laughs> yeah, the, the Eutychianism or Eutychianism. There we yeah. go. <clears throat> yeah. Um, this is the one that, of all the heresies, my heart goes out to the most. <laughs> if I was going to be a heretic, this is the one. This is the one you would pick. Huh? <laughs> good thing you're not. Um, I, I really like what the heart behind this one. Uh, essentially, the problem with, with... So on the former one, the teaching of Nestorius was that Christ is... Uh, and, and it's questioned whether or not Nestorius actually believed this, but one... Uh, I'm sorry, two persons with two natures. Eutychianism uh, teaches that there is uh, one person and one nature. So... Um, the Christian understanding, the Orthodox understanding of the person of Christ is that he is one person with two natures. He's one person, and he has two natures that are human and divine. And so um, Nestorius divides both of those up into two, and Eutychus uh, combines both of those into one. Uh, the, the problem, of course, with Eutychianism is that as soon as you combine these views. I, I kind of call this the Spider-Man view, because what what is Spider-Man in the comic books, right? He, he's neither human nor spider once he gets bitten by the radioactive spider. Sure, right? sure. He's radioactive Spider-Man, right? Right, right. He's both. And so as soon as you break down the distinction between human and divine, and you say, well, he's just a a combination of both of those things somehow, that they get intermixed into each other. Now, he's not, he's neither. He, he's something else entirely. And, uh, and so with uh, Eutychianism, I, I really appreciate it because it's trying to protect the unity of the person of Christ and, and say that he is one person and that he's, he's uh, not divided up. And yet at the same time, uh, when, when we do it to that degree, uh, that he's not just one person but also one nature, we're we're really we're really heading into some uh, problems in terms of making sense of various texts of scripture. So yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So um, yeah, and, and in all of this, man, it's it's so good to think through these things. Many of these have uh, some some uh, contemporary uh, hair like actual heretical movements that still employ these same sorts of beliefs. Others, I think, we just 
accidentally slip into sometimes in, in our even in our Christian churches, we just don't have a right understanding of who, who Jesus is. And, and it's just really helpful to, to look at these ancient heresies and sort of piece together uh, where it's really easy for us to go off course and get it wrong. I'm with you. I mean, it's so easy, and like you say, in your mind to have a feel-good thing about what you think Jesus is or who he is or how he does and then go off and run with that. And that's why it's so important to have brothers and sisters that are with you. So, I mean, to keep us all in check and, and keep our faces in the Bible studying yeah. what it is. Yeah, and, and, and the document that is the most helpful for the church today in terms of orthodoxy as it pertains to Christology is the Chalcedonian definition uh, that was uh, composed in 451 AD. And uh, of course, the Apostles' Creed that we're talking through does not address all of these things, but it, di- it does in time lead to the Council of Nicaea. And then after the Council of Nicaea, lots of questions started to emerge about well, now, who is Jesus, and how do we how do we think about who Jesus is? And that Chalcedonian definition uh, of 451 really, really answers a lot of those questions. Well, so before, before right before we close here, Kurt, I know that um, you were you were looking at a statement that that uh, does a really good job of describing um, one aspect of the Apostles' Creed segment that we're talking through today, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, and I don't want to lose track of that because I do think in contemporary Christianity we do lose track of Jesus being our Lord a lot. We think of him as our buddy. We think of him as our homeboy. Um, there are T-shirts that say that, and it drives me nuts. Uh, what 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 was the quote that? Uh, well, read us the quote that you have for us. Yeah, so that is a great great thing to consider. I mean, we don't want to lose sight of who Jesus is as our Lord, and I think Justo Gonzalez says it really well, and I'm going to read from him. Uh, We say, Our Lord, with such ease that it is difficult for us to see what a radical statement it was for Christians in the second century, and what a radical statement it should be. The title Lord, or Kyrios, was claimed by Emperor Domitian late in the first century. It meant that he was the supreme ruler, and that no one could challenge or even rival his authority. Domitian's attitude, manifested in the title itself, but also in a number of other actions, led to the persecution of both Christians and Jews, who insisted that God was the true Lord, far above Domitian or any other ruler. After Domitian, most emperors claimed the title for themselves. So whenever a rival to the throne appeared, usually among the legions, the first thing his supporters did was to burn incense before his image and declare him to be Lord. So, when Christians dared to call Jesus our Lord, they were uttering subversive and perhaps even sedacious sentiments. In other words, using that term was very likely a way to put you in prison or even get you killed. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a rival. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, Amen. That's, uh, that's, I think, really challenging, uh, at least even just for me as I think about my own life and all the ways and all the areas that I don't really think about Jesus as my Lord and that I really need to. <laughs> exactly. Are you putting him first? Is he the Lord in the decisions you're making and the actions you're doing every day? And what does that mean? Because what it meant back then was pretty huge, yeah. and it means the same thing today. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, this has been another episode of Sound Saints. I'd love to hear your thoughts or questions. You can hit us up at kurt.dolmus at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Go in grace and peace. God bless you.